Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, July 27th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. This time out, the mayor explains the city's strategy moving ahead of growing new communities and at the same time addressing the issue of affordable housing. Music star Sinead O'Connor's death has reopened discussions surrounding the importance of addressing mental health issues, which plagued O'Connor for the majority of her life. We discuss the resources available in the city of Calgary and what we can do to help those around us who might be suffering when we check in with Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate and social worker with the Distress Centre. And finally, ketone drinks are often used by elite athletes to enhance performance, but could they also help the average person become healthier? We discuss with Anna Nichols, PhD candidate in nutrition and metabolism from the University of Bath. We normally get the pleasure of checking in with the mayor on Fridays. We're doing it a day early today, though, and we're going to talk about lots of things. New communities in the city of Calgary, uh, affordable, low-income housing, the new, the uh, North American Indigenous Games. I'm sorry, but we'll check in with the mayor on all of these topics, and we say good morning to Mayor Jody Gondek. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for uh, checking in with us a day early. I know you're, you've got lots of stuff going on with your family and everybody's uh, getting ready for holidays, so appreciate your time. Uh, let's start with new communities within the city limits. So um, we're talking about p- potentially 12 new communities within the Calgary city limits. Is that right? Well, it's been called new communities for quite some time. Um, the truth of it is that it is um, actually 12 business plans that were submitted over the last few years. And in most cases, it is simply trying to finish off some of the communities that have started in north central Calgary. People are familiar with Livingston. So Livingston started and now there's pieces of it that need to be finished. Uh, there's other communities out to the east of Calgary, like Belvedere, which has some finishing works that need to be done. So these are projects that have been on the books for some time. But what we did is figured out that in order for them to grow, we need to make sure that there is budget for the infrastructure that's required. So the process by which we approve growth is what changed uh, during the course of this council meeting. And is is the catch-22, you know, when it it comes to housing and uh, those folks, contractors, builders and uh, developers, uh, that delicate balance between them wanting to make a profit and, you know, show the the million-dollar homes that they can build, but at the same time eke out those homes and partnering with the city and the organizations that know the importance of the lack of housing that we're seeing to make these affordable homes? Yeah, I mean, I can point to um, the downtown conversion incentive program very easily. There are folks that are building affordable housing units that are actually family-style units as well without being asked to do so because they know that the market conditions are such that we need to be able to create um, subsidized housing options for people as well. So uh, the folks that are out there doing construction and land development, they understand that it needs to be a partnership with the city to deliver on housing that really addresses the needs of all families, whether they're market or non-market. Is it something that needs to be mandated, though, to make sure that we have affordable housing within these communities, whether they're new or just sort of finished off? We can absolutely do that. The key is to make sure that you're doing it in conjunction with the industry to understand what the actual costs are, what the benefits could be, and understanding what the trade-offs have to be. I mean, is there an ability to do permitting a little bit faster because you have the assurance that there are going to be affordable units? Is it a matter of perhaps skipping the land use approval or full development permit process because you know there's going to be affordability in the mix? Those are all things that we need to consider. It can be done. It just needs to be done well. And within those considerations, Madam Mayor, the considerations, something that just came to mind is I think that the fact 
to to a certain extent, is less planning more in that we want this to be by happenstance that these affordable properties are across the city and not just you know one certain section of the city or one certain corner of the city. It is really important to ensure that there's market affordability and below market affordability in every area of the city. And I say this because we need to think about how we go through our daily routine. And when you consider the folks that are taking on custodial tasks in our office buildings or folks that are traveling from one end of the city to the other because they are in the senior care industry, whatever it happens to be, there's a lot of people right now in the city that live where they can afford to live and they have to take a lot of transit or drive quite a ways to get to where they work. If we were able to provide people reasonable options and affordability to live close to where they work or where their social support network is, we'd be a much stronger city. Let's talk about this. Uh, Calgary is going to host the 2027 North American Indigenous Games. It was news that came down last week. How meaningful is this to the city and why so? It is absolutely a privilege to be awarded the North American Indigenous Games for 2027. I can tell you that Tourism Calgary worked very hard on this bid, and they did it in a manner that was collaborative with the Nations of Treaty 7. We are seeing some of the events being planned for Suchina Nation. So there is absolutely a strong integration, and we are making sure that the voices of elders and leaders and youth within Indigenous communities are being heard and that the way we plan for these games is inclusive of Indigenous ways of knowing, Indigenous sport. It is really an opportunity to execute on um, call to action number 91 in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which says um, understand and promote elite performance in sport by Indigenous athletes. So I, I could not be happier to bring these games to Calgary. And this was truly a partnership with First Nations that are neighbors to our city. I want to uh, switch gears, and generally when we talk about, the, we, know, we don't talk enough about the train line here mm. in the city of Cal- <laughs> Calgary. Yeah. This minute. Um, uh, but normally, normally it's the green line. At least we've got some uh, new topic here. Not, not so new. It's been in the discussion in the past, but the city exploring the feasibility of connecting the train line to the airport has come back up. What can you tell us about the, this project in the likelihood of, of something like this happening? Well, we have $3 million to do a feasibility study, so that's better than what we've had before. It's always been a lot of talk, and now we're taking some action. I can tell you that there's some solutions that are not that time-consuming and also are possibly less expensive than other options. Uh, The blue line can be extended one station up and one station over to tie into the airport. The uh, Center Street corridor, where currently we have the 301 bus line, if we were able to execute on the plan that's in place, to create dedicated infrastructure for a bus rapid transit route, a proper one, that would then connect across from 96 over to the airport. That is your strongest strongest ridership base in the city. So we could connect people that live here as well as visitors from the airport to north central Calgary into downtown. And I would have to say the other big play here is if we can look at heavy rail and we can look at the partnership now, the, the formal relationship between Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Rail, that merger allows us the opportunity to become a proper multimodal hub if we get this right. So I'm just excited about the opportunities that Calgary has through this study. And let's hope it actually happens. Um, uh, speaking of, let's get an update on the Green Line. Do you have any, any updates, any news for us on that front? Things are moving forward with the Green Line. We continue to do the, uh, the utility work. We continue to make sure that um, 
the audit committee of the Green Line is looking at uh, the risk profile and we get regular updates. So the project is proceeding as planned. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Madam Mayor. I know that it might be a little spotty over the next uh, few weeks because even the mayor is allowed to have a little bit of time. What? You you didn't get the memo, (laughs) Sue? I didn't know. Hey, I'm around for a couple more weeks. Oh, okay. If you need me, you know where to find me. Okay, perfect. Whew. We'll, we'll, we'll look for you. We'll just come down to City Hall and start knocking on the doors. Uh, thank you Please so do. much, <laughs> uh, Madam Mayor. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You, you too. too. That is uh, Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Sing me a song of a loss that is gone. Say could that loss be I? Our mental health moment today follows the death of music superstar Sinead O'Connor. That the theme song from Outlander by Sinead. Absolutely beautiful music, a beautiful voice, a tortured soul for sure though. And had mental health issues for years, openly talked about it. So let's talk about what to do when someone you love is struggling with their mental health. And we'll talk to our advocate and social worker Karen Gallagher-Burt as we do on the regular. Hi Karen, thanks for coming in. Good morning. Well, we don't officially know the cause of death of Sinead O'Connor, but we do know she was very open about her mental health issues over multiple years. So when you have someone in your life who is struggling, is open about it, what can you do to help? Oh my goodness, that's such a an interesting question because in the moment it's going to change based on the person and your relationship, um, the intimacy of the relationship, how close you are. If someone is sharing with you, then they trust you. There's something about you that they see as you will be a champion for them, an advocate for them. And so your job in that moment is to really be there for them. I think the hard part for most folks is that when people are in pain, and it is emotional pain, we want to fix it. We want to make it better. And sometimes you can't. You just have to be that good human in their life. And then know when to ask the the dark questions. The Are you actually suicidal right now? Are you suicidal? And it's, I know we've talked about this before, but so many people are afraid of that word. Mm-hmm. And it is like, it's like popping a pimple sounds terrible, but they're both terrible. Um, you got to let the pressure out. You got to give someone a chance to share. What could it be, Karen, that somebody does not know they're suicidal? It's just this, this yeah. dark blanket over them at this point. So I guess it's just having that conversation. Being open to the conversation and and then always be mindful of changes one way or the other. When someone withdraws or someone gets more active, when someone um, is talking a lot, when someone goes silent, look for things that are opposite of what they normally are like. And when you see traits and things happening, behaviors particularly, that's a good time for a question because you're curious now. So you're not, you know, demanding an answer, but your curiosity steps in and you can say, you know what, I've noticed that. Are you, have you? Are you considering mm-hmm. and bring up those words? I would think particularly with our kids, right? I mean, Sinead struggled with her own mental health. Obviously, one of her children did as well. He took his own life at the age of 17. That's got to be, I can't even imagine as yeah. a parent. It's just absolutely crushing to lose a child, but that way would be even even worse, I would think. So, you know, with our own kids, with our grandkids, I think probably, you know, it's, it's scary to bring up that topic, mm-hmm. to even ask that question. What if they're not and you put it in their mind? Is it better to have the conversation than not? Well, that's a myth. You can't put it in someone's mind. It's 100% a myth. If you bring it up, nobody's going to go, oh, well, that's a good idea. Um, that's just not the way suicide works. So honestly, if you're bringing it up, it's kind of like, uh, I would say, having a conversation about any kind of physical health. You know, I've noticed that your eating habits have gotten a little worse lately and haven't seen a vegetable cross your lips. 
you know, you don't have to force them to eat a vegetable, but you want them to consider something's changed. And I know that that's a very mild example compared to what mm-hmm. mental health is like. And Sinead O'Connor has what I would call that trivecta, uh, family history of abuse, um, lots of problems with that. Growing up where she did in Ireland, there was lots of struggles with her faith. Um, so she had a multitude from childhood on, and that's what we always call those adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. So she had tons of them. And then you add on the complications of, you know, her partners, her children, the mental health everywhere. She had a dark place that she was in. And I'm sure that there were people asking her Mm -hmm. whether she died by suicide or not over the last 18 months, particularly after her son died. I'm sure she had people in her life asking her those questions on a regular basis. Sometimes the pain is just so difficult. You can't, nobody can see it, but it's it's a physical pain as well as a mental pain if you ever get to that point where you are thinking about dying by suicide. What can you say to somebody who's on the sidelines, uh, Karen, who says, maybe I should say something, but maybe it's not my place, or maybe I'm uncomfortable with such a serious conversation, or maybe it could damage our relationship. If I approach you, Karen, and say, you're not the same as you used to be, you'll take that as an insult and it'll Mm -hmm. ruin our friendship. So so how do you encourage somebody to, to, to begin that convo? You know, I think you have to take a risk. And uh, I would rather be wrong on the side of asking a question, offending someone, than be wrong, I'll be right and not ask the question and have that person die by suicide. So for me, you got to take that risk and, and open the conversation. If someone says no, that's okay. And you hopefully you can express yourself in a way to say, you know, I really care. So it's something I've heard about and I'm concerned about. And I want to ask and check in. Are you suicidal? And be that specific and straight. And I think, you know, the point you made earlier bears repeating that you're not putting it in someone's mind just by saying it. It's either there or it's not. Yeah, and I would highly recommend, I know Akash was on here from Center for Suicide Prevention for the Buddy Up campaign. The courses they have there um, from assist right through to how to work with children who might be suicidal are fantastic. They have the best library on suicide resources in the whole world there. Which organization is that? That's a... CASP, so the Center for Suicide Prevention. Okay. Akash had been in here during the Buddy Up mm-hmm. campaign. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it might be new to you finding yourself in a dark place, maybe feeling cornered, or it might be new for you to be with a loved one, family, mm-hmm. friend, or coworker who who is in that space, so you might not have experience. The resources are there, but it's new to you. It's like no different than if I yep. never had my basement fixed for water. I don't know where to go. Yep. Uh, rudimentary example. Uh, but where is, is the best place to start here so, in Calgary? Honestly, I always say start with the Distress Center for this one because you, if you are working or supporting someone who you think is suicidal and you don't know what to do, they can talk you through that too. It can be a third-party call. It doesn't have to be you calling because you're struggling. Mm-hmm. It can be you because you're struggling with supporting someone else and you don't know what to do. They're the experts. That's what they do 24-7. And I'm just Googling it too, the Center for Suicide Prevention. They've got a phone number, one 456 4566. Yeah. 833-456-4566. Thanks, Karen. I, I think we need to continue to talk about it, you know, beyond the Sinead O'Connors and the tragic stories like that, whether she did pass from suicide or not, we have to keep talking about it. Make sure that uh, mental health is in the forefront in, in our discussions always. You bet. hundred percent. Thank you so much. Karen Gallagher-Burt, mental health advocate, social worker at the Distress Centre. And again, 24 hours a day, 403-266-HELP is the phone number. Well, fasting and keto diets have been growing in popularity in recent years, but a new study being launched by the University of Bath is exploring the impact ketone drinks could have on the health of older adults. Joining us to discuss is Anna Nicholas, PhD candidate in nutrition and metabolism at the University of Bath. Good morning to you, Anna. 
Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Well, for, for those in the world of ketone and the keto diet, they know exactly what we are talking about. But for those who are not, can you break down keto and ketone drinks? Yeah, sure. Um, so ketones are molecules that are produced by our body and normally under conditions where we face a shortage of sugar. So this will happen in a ketogenic diet or if we do prolonged fasting or prolonged exercise. And when this happens, our body makes ketones from fats and these provide energy for our body. So we can make them, uh, our body can make these, but ketone drinks are basically a way to deliver these um, without having to uh, undergo a ketogenic diet or fasting or, or, or prolonged exercise. So when it comes to these ketone drinks, how would they benefit elite athletes, for example, in terms of their performance, their focus? What does it do? Yeah, that's a really good question. So they're so they are an energy source, a bit like glucose. Um, so lots of studies um, in elite athletes have looked at are do these provide a superior energy source? Um, I think the results are a bit mixed on that. But they also function as signaling molecules. So they they tell our body. Um, Things and, and it seems to be that they are involved in uh, inflammation, lowering inflammation, and this might be better at enhancing recovery. Um, the other thing that they do is they uh, they seem to have an effect on cognition. So there's some evidence that in elite athletes, when we get fatigued um, after uh, a long period of exercise, then ketones might help to uh, kind of retain focus uh, and therefore improve performance. Okay, we've covered elite athlete, something I've never been accused of being, nor uh, Sue, Sue here. Speak <laughs> for yourself. Um, uh, but what about the rest of us? And what, what if yeah. I'm a regular person who, who wants to, to look after my health, maybe see some improvements, maybe do some moderate exercise? Would I notice a difference or a benefit? And, and would this be something that I'd have to use regularly to see any potential benefits? Yeah, um, those are all good questions. And what that's really what we're trying to test. Um, so there have been some studies that have already looked, they've looked in adults with obesity and type 2 diabetes, and um, kind of healthy, healthy adults. Um, and there are some benefits. So there's, this seems to improve blood glucose control, uh, enhance cognition, um, improve the way that our blood vessels function. Um, so I think some of these are open questions, we still need need more research. And that's why we're launching this study to look um, at this at four weeks of supplementation in, in older adults to see, do we see these um, benefits in this population? Um, I think it's a really good question about how long you'd need to supplement for, do, do, you know, how regularly. And I think these, again, are, are questions that are up in the air. The longest studies that we've got so far look at either two weeks or four weeks. Um, so again, these these are things that we yeah are keen to investigate um, to see if we can like develop recommendations for 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 more people. Yeah, I mean, it seems that, you know, with, with all that you're describing as benefits for elite athletes, but for just people in general, in the general public, that then there therefore might translate to benefits for people with Parkinson's disease, for example, diabetes, heart issues. Is, is that what you're searching for then in, in terms of wanting to do more studying? Yeah, definitely. And um, there are a whole bunch of studies that are starting looking specifically at different conditions. You've mentioned yeah, Parkinson's, heart failure. Um, there's um, type 2 diabetes, there's ones looking at mild cognitive impairments. So there seems to be a bit of an explosion looking at can these drinks um, improve health in these different populations. The study that we're looking at is, is not looking at a kind of disease population, but thinking about just uh, 
older adults um, with, we, we say, with stable health. So they don't need to be free from health conditions, but with kind of stable conditions and seeing, yeah, do, do we see benefits? Um, do they do they sleep better? Do they, um, uh, is their blood glucose better? Are inflammatory markers lower? Um, are, is their cognitive function improved? Um, all of these kinds of things. All right, we've talked a lot about the benefits and, you know, uh, the studies surrounding the benefits and who could find, uh, you know, themselves uh, being a higher performance athlete or to, to help those who are ailing. What about negative effects? Are there any negatives to, you know, enjoying these ketone drinks? And uh, on the same side, or, or should some people completely avoid them? Yeah, really good questions. Um, I think um, one of the big downsides um, at the moment to the ketone drinks, or certainly to the the kind of most widely used ketone drink is that um, it does have a pretty pretty unpleasant taste. So when you say enjoying ketone drinks, um, <laughs> it's uh, um, if you've t- tried it, it is quite um, yeah, it's a very str- a very strong kind of bitter taste. So I think that is a downside in terms of actually people being able to or being or being willing to consume them um, for their benefits. Uh, I think you know there's always caution around certain populations um, and taking taking supplements um there's not uh, yeah i don't think there's a particular reason um apart from the kind of actually consuming the drink and it can have some some people do report some negative side effects in terms of some gi problems um, they tend to be very rare and also very mild but that is something that um you know is another consideration um so we are excluding certain certain people but at the moment um there's not a kind of obvious uh you know a certain subset that wouldn't wouldn't uh wouldn't tolerate them especially as they are you know they're they're molecules that are produced by the body um so they're not totally foreign if you like and I'm just Googling right now, and, and, and they're, they can be quite expensive. I mean, you can get ketone drinks on Amazon, for example, and they can be very expensive. And we're, we're talking specifically it needs to be a ketone drink, not, you know, the high energy drinks that we, we hear a lot about, right? This is something quite specific. Is it okay for us as, as far as we know, though, to just, you know, if we wanted to get a little better cognitive function in our daily life to be taking them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's obviously the caveat of like following the manufacturer's instructions, and they often su- suggest how much people should take. So I don't, I don't recommend anyone go away and, and buy a whole load and just kind of chug it. Um, there's definitely caution around just um, simply taking too much. Um, but and I, and I think you mentioned the cost that at the moment is a very prohibitive factor, and they are expensive, and that's going to at the moment stop people being able to use them widely. Um, hopefully, it's something that would change in the future. You mentioned, you know, the fact that you shouldn't take too much of them, but I'm looking, as, as Sue mentioned, online, and I know that in, in a lot of the stores, health food stores, grocery stores, they're available, so it's available without a prescription. But is this something, if it's something you want to adapt into your lifestyle, that you should talk to your doctor beforehand before consuming? Yeah, I think it's worth um, worth talking to your doctor. I mean, these are food ingredients; they're not medicines as such. Um, so um, it's a bit like having a glucose drink or you know another kind of um, food. Um, but it is always worth, I think, talking to your doctor before making changes uh, to your diet. Um, and yeah, that can include ketone drinks. Fascinating. Uh, we'll check in with you once the study has been done. I think it's a, a really interesting concept to be able to use these to, you know, to help with medical conditions as opposed to just the daily benefits that we might get out of it. So we'll check in with you again. Thanks so much, Anna. Appreciate your time. Great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Cheers. Anna Nicholas, PhD candidate in nutrition and metabolism at the University of Bath.